Okay, we'll get uh, started on the, the next segment. Take your sheet there. This could be a much better handout, but I thought the other one was much more detailed in the, the brief amount of time that we would have, but at least you can get the key thoughts. Uh, we'll start in Genesis chapter 1. And I think what we're going to see is that uh, the world system that is being pushed today is going completely contrary to everything God had as original intent. And that's a very difficult thing for us as believers to adjust to. Because here we hold this word of God as absolute, as inspired, directed by God, accurate, and it's the direction for life. But the world out there thinks we're fools and that we are blind followers of a cult instead of loving servants and loving children of the God who created all of this. And we go all the way back to the beginning. On the top, there's philosophy of biblical leadership. Sometimes that was impartially blocked out is the theology of biblical leadership. What was God's original intent? Genesis chapter 1, and we'll look in verse 26. Up till now, the worlds have been created, the starry heavens, the bodies of water, the plant life, animal life. And uh, then on the sixth day, God created man. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit now meet. In verse 26, and God said, let us, note that word us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Okay, so number one on your sheet, we were created to reflect the communicable attributes of God. So blank number one, we were created to reflect the communicable attributes of God. Now when it says, let's make man in our image after our likeness, that was not a physical likeness because God has no body. So it could not have been referring to a physical likeness. And if I were to stop... Uh, for example, if you were coming in this morning and somebody from the local newspaper heard that you were having a, a, a conference this morning and they stopped you at the door and say, no, you're going to the conference they're having? Yes. And you're a Christian? Yes. Now, if I understand it correctly, I understand that the purpose of a Christian is to glorify God. Is that true? And you would say, yes. And the reporter would say, well, could you explain what that means? And you would say, well, you know, we need to glorify him, which means we'll make sure he's glorified in everything, which means, well, you know, I mean, glorify him in all things. 
And the reporter says, thanks for explaining that. I never understood that before. Then you ask, what does it mean? Because when we get a handle on this, when we get a handle on point number one, we were given as humans our mission statement for life. And for everyone created in the image of God, that mission statement for life was given. We were created that we might reflect the communicable attributes of God or to glorify God. I wish time would allow us to track the glory of God through the Old Testament into Bethlehem when the announcement was made, glory to God in the highest, and then when the baton was handed off to the local church, glory in the church. I wish time would allow to track that glory of God all the way through, but we were given our mission statement for life. So what does it mean to glorify God? To give a proper opinion of the nature and the character of God. When you get in the Old Testament, the word glory was the weightiness, the awesomeness of God's character. You get into the New Testament, the word doxa, we get orthodoxy, paradox, uh, and the, the uh, thought of the idea that the root of doxa, one of the root meanings of doxa is the word opinion. Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatsoever you do, do all to give a proper opinion of the nature and the character of your God. Well, what a standard for living that is. In other words, I make a decision to do something. Is this giving a right opinion of what my God is like? Because that's what it means to glorify him. When Jesus said, glorify me, when others see your good works, they may what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. In other words, why should we live in such a way that our life reflects the nature and the character of our God and his communicable attributes? What is the difference between a communicable and an incommunicable attribute? What would be some incommunicable attributes of God? Some that, would, that could not be communicated to us. Yeah, eternality, all the omnis, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. I can never be all over at the same time. I can never be all knowing. I can never be all powerful, but I can be loving. I can reflect the fruit of the Spirit. I can reflect 1 Corinthians 13, agape love. I can be holy. Those communicable attributes of God that give a right opinion of what God is like is what's given here. And our purpose statement for life is given right there in verse 26. Live that we might reflect. Then secondly, rule over God's creation. We see that in verse 26. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fall of the air, the cattle, over every creeping thing that creeps. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created him. God's original intent. And God blessed him. And God said, be fruitful and multiply. So number 
three, reproduce. In other words, now when we bring woman into your life as a man, be fruitful and multiply so. Rule over God's creation, reproduce, and then number four, we'll look in verse, in chapter two, and I'm not going to take time to go through the recreative act because chapter two uh, gives creation again, but in the creation of man, it gives much more detail of the creation of man. Verse seven, and the Lord God, chapter two and verse seven, and the Lord God, and notice, Lord God, in every case, the creator God and the covenant-keeping God. So Elohim Yahweh, Elohim Yahweh, the Lord God, the creator God, the all-powerful creator God, yet the all-powerful covenant-keeping God. And you'll notice the Lord God, the Lord God, very significant because the loving covenant-keeper but the powerful creator God was active in man's creation. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, man became a living soul. And then God puts him in the garden. Then look now in verse 15, and we see our next point there, responsibility accepted. Now there's moral accountability. And what lessons is this for every believer? While only Adam was being struck and Adam was being prepared to become the first husband, become the first father, become the first man to model the nature and the character of the creator God. And boy, don't we see the attacks going against that, the whole entire image of God that is, uh, that is there. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. He was given responsibility. Those of you who have to get up 5.30 to go to work, you say, boy, when I get to heaven, I'll get my hands around Adam's neck because I have to get up when the alarm goes off and get to work. Let me remind you, work was the earliest form of worship that God gave to Adam. Work is not a curse. Work was the earliest form. This was, work was given pre-fall, pre-sin. But it was given to Adam as his earliest form of worshiping and honoring God by being responsible. How can we ever overemphasize being responsible as believers? Because Adam was given that task. The two very aggressive Hebrew words, dress it and keep it. Dress it and keep it. That's labor. Labor intensive. You can only imagine the garden. You can only imagine what was all involved in maintaining everything that was there in that place. I don't think it was just like a backyard. You open a gate and you go in and, and you weed the beans and you weed. No, this was a massive thing. He said, no, Adam, keep this like I gave it to you, which meant work. I used to tell our students coming in, 
If you want to be a reflector of God's character when you go out in ministry, be responsible. Learn a work ethic. How many of you have gone to drive in McDonald's, drive in Burger King's? You've gone to restaurants, and my wife and I pulled up to Burger King late morning. Sorry, closed, no workers. We'll be open this afternoon. Many, many, many places, almost every place that's in business, help wanted, help wanted, help wanted. You know why? Because we had, there's been a scheme to make men dependent and lazy and not responsible. Because if they're dependent on handouts, why would they go to work when you can get paid more by staying home? Then why would you go and engage yourself in work? Another thing that flies straight in the face of Almighty God who created us to be responsible beings in this way. Dress it and keep it. I used to tell our students, some of you are so lazy, you didn't know the sun came up slowly. You get to school and you're heading to 7 o'clock and it's still dark and then all of a sudden there's this big huge orange ball and you ask your RA, what is that? That's the sun. You've never seen that light? No, I've never seen it like that before. It's always been way up there. Yeah, because mommy let you sleep till 10 o'clock. Oh, honey, you're tired. Oh, <laughs> if I tried that, I'll tell you what. I, I would have uh, had some very severe counseling going on. But you know what? A work ethic is a good thing. I said, some of you are so lazy, you think manual labor is a president in Mexico. And I said, that's going to have to change if you're going to go out and be responsible. Now, as we go on here now, there was divine... Accountability, there was abundant permission, divine abundance that was given. And when you look at the, the, the whole concept that you have there on your sheet, you, you can just jot these, these uh, things down. Divine permission was given. Of every tree thou mayest eat freely, divine permission. Superabundant, yes, solitary, no. And when Satan came, what did he focus on? He focused on the solitary, no. Some young people think mom and dad stay up all night making a list of everything that's fun and then making a rule against it. Because Satan will want you to focus on the no and not the abundant yeses. Divine Abundance. Secondly, there was divine prohibition. Thou shalt not eat. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat. For the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And so, divine prohibition. Why did God put a prohibition on Adam? and Eve at this point. 
What was the purpose of that prohibition? Did God come in a garden and see Adam smiling and said, I will not tolerate happiness in this garden. I know how to get that smile off his face. I'll give him a rule. No. Why did God give that rule? Yeah, and it was to protect him, but to test his obedience, but to protect him. Because what did God know in his omniscience? He knew there was an enemy coming. And that enemy was going to bait the trap called freedom so that he could draw mankind out of his place of protection and go into disobedience. And God said, thou shalt not. That's prohibition. And then see a divine penalty. If you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Three kinds of death, and you can write these off to the side, three kinds of death. There are spiritual death. When Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, they did not physically drop over dead. What happened? They instantly were separated from God. Remember this, death is never cessation of being. Death is only separation. Adam and Eve did not physically drop over dead, but they were instantly dead spiritually because they were separated from God. That's what Ephesians talks about in chapter 2. You hath he quickened. In other words, you, your spirit again was made alive that died when man sinned. And you were separated from me when you were born. You were separated from God because of the sin issue. And so there's spiritual death. Separate. That's how we were born, by the way. We were born spiritually dead. Because Adam, the federal head of the race, crashed the human race into sin. Secondly, there's physical death. That's separation from people, from loved ones, but never cessation of being. Man never ceases to be. From the time of his conception, he became an eternal being. And he would live somewhere forever. And so there was physical death. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's physical death. I've done many, many funerals when I was in uh, Roseville, Michigan, a funeral home director talked to my brother who was on his bowling league and he said, your brother's a pastor there at the, uh, do you think he would do funerals for us uh, for families who do not have a church or a pastor? And I went down, I said, yeah, I, I would be very happy to do that. But I used to go and I say, you know, I don't know the deceased, I don't know you as a family, I'm very humbled to be here to be a part of this a time when you're saying goodbye to this loved one. But I have a threefold responsibility. Number one, I have a responsibility to the God who called me to say what he would have me say at this time. Number two, I have a responsibility to the deceased who can no longer speak. But if he could speak and come back to talk to you, I have a responsibility to say what he would say. And then number three, 
I have a responsibility to you who remain. You're, you're not in the box yet. You're there. I have a responsibility to you to tell you how to prepare for this hour. Well, I don't know your loved one. I do know how you can prepare for the time when you're in that coffin. Why? Because physical death is separation, but I said your loved one is not ceasing to be. He is only separated from you. Then number three, there's eternal death. And that's described in Revelation chapter 20. Eternal death is forever separation from any hope of the love of God. That's why the gospel is so crucial. That's why accepting Christ is so crucial. Because Revelation chapter 20 says, And I saw a great white throne in him that sat in it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. What books? The books of works. And another book was opened, and that book is the book of life. And when a person becomes a born-again believer, his name recorded in the book of life. And a person is saying, but look at the many wonderful works that I have done. Matthew 7 says, depart from me, I didn't know you. And who will be the judge? The very one who cried, Father, forgive them as he hung on the cross. He's going to be the one sitting in judgment on that great white throne who will say the final word, depart from me into eternal damnation. Why? Because of not accepting the gift of eternal life that was freely given by grace. No works. By grace are you saved through faith. That of your... Uh, not that of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Someone say, well, I think my good is going to outweigh my bad. Well, it means that's not, that's not how it is. I will die and be eternally separated if I do not accept the free gift that by grace has been given and you accept that free gift by faith. That's how you solve the eternal death issue because you will never, ever be separated from God's eternal love. But those who choose to resist or choose to hang on to their own good works and choose to say no to the gospel, it will be that group that will be in, in a uh, situation eternally separated from God. But you have that chance now. You have breath in your body. You have that chance now. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me. And that step has to take place in your life because it is freely given. As we will hear uh, the Easter message when your pastor gives that on Sunday, the next Sunday. Now, number six, before we come to a close here quickly, be relational. Be relational. And we see here, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree thou mayest eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat, for in the day thou eatest thou shalt surely die. Verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good. Now, what was not good? That man should be alone. And all the men said, 
Amen. In fact, it's not only not good, it's downright dangerous. When my wife was in the hospital when she had her aortic dissection, it got downright dangerous in our house. The sink was moving. You had to have a tetanus shot to get in the bedroom. And uh, because it was up to me, I said, Nay, my Lord, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help me. And therefore, God begins now. He prepared Adam to reflect the character of God, to rule over God's creation, to reproduce when God gave him a mate, and be responsible. Now, Adam, I'm taking you to the next step, how you can be a husband. I've given you all of this to teach you how you can be a man's man as a husband. And then you can be a man's man as a father when God brings children along. And so all of that foundation work was done. God's original intent was very, very clear. And so, it's not good, Manchabil, I will make him a helpmeet. And as you know, God brought all the animals, and Adam had to name all of the animals. You can just imagine the intelligence that had to be involved in that, in naming all the animals. And then each one had a mate. And then and at the end of verse 20, Adam said there was not found a helpmeet for him. In other words, God, I've seen all these animals that had their, their partner. I, I, there's not one for me. And God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And God took his rib and formed woman from that rib. And remember, uh, submission, the, the command for submission was not uh, cultural. It was scriptural. It was creational. Some people say, well, that was culture back then where, where Paul was giving instruction for a woman to submit. No, 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 it wasn't. And this is all New Testament. She was created following man, 1 Timothy 2.13. She was created from man, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 8. She was created for man, 1 Corinthians 11.9. Following man, from man, for man. All New Testament. So submission is not a cultural thing. It was a creational thing built right into creation for the woman's benefit. I wish time would allow to go into the pattern of the Trinity, how benefited you are as a woman if you're here to learn the lesson of following into that realm of submission. That is not punishment. That is for your pleasure and your protection. Submission is not a curse. Submission is a blessing. But it's very clear. 1 Timothy 2.13, 1 Corinthians 11.8 and 11.9. Following man from man for man. The man was not created for the woman, but the woman was created for the man. And so, therefore shall a man leave. That's a principle of severance. Number one, leave is severance. 
And it is not good if you're getting married. Some of you have been marrying soon. Some of you have been married a while. Uh, don't bring up your mother's cooking to your new bride. One man said, my wife's not a cook. I think she's an arsonist. And uh, we don't brush our teeth. We count them after we eat. That's not going to help a marriage at all. Uh, you can buy a lot softer buns there at McDonald's. Number two, cleave, that's permanence. Therefore shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave. Permanence that was never intended to be broken up. Number three, they become one flesh, that's unity. And that unity is a holy unity one in spirit. That's why both need to be believers. It's a holy unity. It's a happy unity, one in soul. And it's a healthy unity, one in body. In that progression. One in spirit, one in soul, one in body. That's the unity. And they were created to be one flesh. That unity that makes it complete. And then number four, they were both naked, the man and his wife are not ashamed. Principle of intimacy. And that is the, the uh, nakedness. So one flesh, naked, intimacy. And I believe that goes way beyond the physical. It goes all the way to total transparency in the communication that were there. But what happened? Perfect plan. God set up the perfect situation for husband and wife. Perfect scenario for a dad to be a perfect father, for a husband to be a perfect man, and for a woman to be a perfect wife. But what happened? Chapter 3 happened. Three things were perverted in the garden. Number one, authority. Authority was taken on, chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle, underscore that word, more subtle than any beast of the field the Lord God had made. Somewhere between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, Satan was cast out of heaven because of his pride and his refusal to fulfill his role of worship. And one-third of the angels fell with him and he comes and the first thing he goes after is what he went after in heaven. And that was the authority of God. And he says, hath God said? Ye shall surely the hath God said? When he put a question mark where God put a period. And the first thing we see a society that disintegrates is authority is challenged. And the authority of God is cast out the word of God is cast out. Any authority that man has to submit to uh, in the spiritual realm is cast out. It says, God is a liar. You who believe the Bible, you're crazy. You shall not surely die. The woman said unto the serpent, verse 2, Ye may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. 
In other words, you look at our society today, what was God's original intent to be submissive under the authority of God, under the authority of his truth, so that you can have a unified life, a blessed life. The authority turned into anarchy. You know, we have today in our world anarchy. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. You've seen it all through history where God had to literally wipe out whole civilizations. He did it with the flood. Started doing it again at Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's another one coming according to 1 Peter chapter 3 or 2 Peter chapter 4. There's one more coming where all the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Do you realize the core of the earth is many, many times harder than the temperature on the sun? And God lets spurts come out every once in a while. And when the nukes that are released and that which is underneath are released, this world will be burned up by what's contained in its heart and by what is going to be released in the nuclear that's being so close to now with Iran being within last week 12 days of having their nuke. And we as believers had better be ready to be faithful I think when he calls us home, I think that time is coming very, very, very close. But God's authority is mocked. You read 2 Peter chapter 4, this, where is the promise? We heard that for years. Where is the promise of becoming? He said, I'm waiting. I'm waiting because I'm giving another chance. I'm giving them a chance, just like with the flood. 120 years God gave them plus a week after Adam, I mean, after Noah and the family went on the ark, there was total stillness for another week. One more chance. But many will mock. Many will go on in rebellion until one time they stand before God. They've shaken their fist in his face in mockery. And there comes a time when that love will end. And there will be eternal separation from God. Secondly, his attitudes changed. Accusation. Attitudes changed. Look in verse 15. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes and desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and did eat and gave unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them then were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And so how did they try to cover their guilt like man does today? I'll get my own way of covering. No, God, God said the blood had to be shed. Animal hides had to be prepared for them. And attitudes change to accusation. I might be making this up, but I think Adam and Eve had an argument about who was at fault. And I think Adam told Eve, I will wear the plants in this family. And uh, how did they cover themselves with plants? I said, I'll wear the plants around here. And when I say those plants need to be washed, don't touch them till I off that bedpost and until I say they're ready to be washed. 
but I, I, that might be eisegeting, not exegeting. I think I might be making that up. But it's fun to think about it. <laughs> they had to have an argument about it. Attitudes. And then number three, right under there, that got cut off. Attitude, atmosphere, turned into agitation. Can you imagine the contrast in atmosphere, pre-fall versus post-fall? Pre-sin versus post-sin, the atmosphere turned into nothing but agitation. Look at our world today. Anarchy, accusation, agitation. Where did that all come from? When Satan called God a liar, and mankind believed it. What do we have today? We have the blessed word of God that is absolute. It's truth. It never changes. And may we live that life and reflect that purpose. And so we see God had the perfect plan, male and female, but what happened? They went into disobedience. And what did they do? They raised Cain. Can you imagine the first parents with the first children, two sons, and one son killed the other son to the delight of the serpent because he was a murderer from the beginning. The serpent loves death. Satan loves death. And I think we see that being magnified and magnified. Every time you see mass shootings, you know the serpent, the devil, is very pleased because he was a murderer from the beginning and he was a liar from the beginning and he is doing everything he can to destroy Everything that was an image of God and mankind was created in the image of God and Satan said, I will wipe out that image once and for all. And he is still trying to get victory after Genesis 3.15. God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. It will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. That is the cross, the heel of Christ was injured, but he snapped the chains of death. At resurrection, the head was crushed, and Satan knows he has but a short time. And may we be faithful as leaders, as men and women, as children. Thank God for these young people here this morning. A life ahead of you that would be very, very fulfilled for God's glory if we just stay faithful, but don't be swallowed by the lie of the devil. So.